And if you want to keep those conversations going, please head on out. It's important topics to discuss. My name is Evan. I'm the pastor down here. It's awesome to be here together. So I'm going to start with a quick pop quiz. What is the church? We are the church. Awesome. And so the church is far more than coming to a building on a Sunday morning, right? So let me give you a couple different opportunities we have in the weeks to come of being the church. First one, right after this service, we have what we call community lunch. It's over at Fork Grill, about a block and a half, two blocks away. Awesome homemade meal. Chance to get together for just pennies and hang out and enjoy one another's company. Um, also support a beautiful ministry. Um, also, on, in two weeks, we have Easter. Right? And we're going to be gathering with the second community, second uh, um, What's that place called up there? Campus. There we go. Um, Because we are a church together. We are Rimrock. And so we're going to be gathering together over at the Civic Center. Um, It'll be at 10 o'clock on Easter Sunday. Um, There's enough space there for people to socially distance. Um, We have all of that figured out. Um, But an important part of of making this happen, two things. One, invite people that you know that don't normally go to church. It's a beautiful intro, low commitment, a chance for them to see what the Bible is all about. The second thing that you can do is be involved with making this happen, right? With an event like this, it's far more than just showing up and being served. It's a chance for you to be an usher, to help pass out bulletins, to help clean up, to help get the stage set up, just all these different things. Um, And so if that at all interests you, please come and talk to me or come and talk to Derek. Um, oh, one last thing, Derek just kind of looked at me so I don't forget. After dinner at Fork Reel, we also need people to help clean up there. Um, you can just kind of step up to the sink and wash dishes and do things like that, but it's a chance to get involved with what the church is doing, which I've found gives you far more than just simply showing up and being served. Oh. Okay. I want to pray just to get my mind in the right spot. Um, I encourage you to do the same. God, right now, we are here so that way we can learn more about you and we can learn more to l- how to live um, the way that you created us to live. So please make that happen. I give you my mind. I give you my words. Whatever you desire, let that be done. Amen. All right, so if you wouldn't mind showing the title of today's topic, The Power of Discipline. Right? There's been many books written on the power of discipline. Um, it's a lot of different, like seven different uh, benefits that come from being disciplined. Oh, wait, it's been edited. The power of being disciplined. Oh, shoot. You excited, Matt, for what we're about to talk about? The power of being disciplined. If anybody feels like they want to leave, you can pretend like your kid's crying. Do it now. This is the topic that I've been meditating on the last six days or so. I came up with this title late last night because I have seen that there is power in being disciplined by God. Not a light topic. And so I don't have an easy intro. Simply, we are by no means perfect. If we spent the next 30 minutes passing around the microphone, openly confessing our faults in the ways that we are not perfect, we wouldn't have enough time to all share. What would take even more time is if we had our spouses kids, parents, good friends openly share about the things that they see within us that aren't good. Based on what other people see about us, man, we could talk until the cows come home. 
We're in South Dakota. You've got to throw out a metaphor like that every once in a while. Over the past two months, for those of us that have been studying the Ten Commandments, our brokenness has become even more obvious. When we look at God's perfect plan for his creation, the way that he originally designed us to live, it is completely obvious that we are not always living that way. And I could give endless examples of the ways that I do not love God with every part of who I am and that I do not love people the way that I want to love people day after day. But because of who God is, our train of thought and our lives don't need to stop there. They don't need to end with guilt and shame. During the Israelites' time at Mount Sinai, God not only gave them instructions on how to live, he also lays out the sacrificial system. He walks his people through different ways that they can make offerings to him. There are different offerings for different reasons. One of them is called a sin offering. The purpose of a sin offering is to free the sinner from the guilt of their sin. Now, his people needed this because God is perfect and we are not. Therefore, we are unable to be in his presence. If you want to know more about that, come and talk to me. That's a sermon in and of itself. But because God wanted, us to, be in the, because God wanted to be in the midst of his people, he created a way for sins to be forgiven. So let's check out a passage from Leviticus. Don't see this very often on a Sunday morning. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you shall offer a male without blemish. You shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting for acceptance in your behalf before the Lord. You shall lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be acceptable in your behalf as atonement for you. The bull shall be slaughtered before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall offer the blood, dashing the blood against all the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Essentially, the animal is taking our place. Instead of us bearing the full weight of our rebellion against God, the animal does it for us. Once the sacrifice is finished, the sinner's sins have been fully justified or punished, and therefore forgiveness is given. They then return to the blameless state before God until they sin again. Now, for those of us on the other side of the cross, we have the ability to be fully cleansed once and for all. Because of who Jesus is, his sacrifice was fully sufficient. Unlike the lambs who had to be sacrificed over and over, Jesus' death allowed us to be fully forgiven once and for all. Let me show you the passage I get this from. Hebrews 7. Unlike the other high priest, he's talking about Jesus, he has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. This he did once for all when he offered himself. We're going to look in depth at this passage during Easter. Right, this is one of the most incredible and found fundamental truths in our lives. I would say the most. Because of who God is and what he did for us, we have the ability to be fully forgiven, which then allows us to be completely restored to him, starting now and lasting forever. You might be wondering, why do we have that topic of being disciplined? So here it comes. But if this is the case, if we are fully forgiven, why do we still experience the problems that come from our foolish choices? This one's easy for us to give examples on, right? It could be bigger problems from bigger forms of stupidity, right? It could be adultery. It could be addiction. It could be theft. It could be anything, right? Most of you know that I used to party for like 15 years of my life. Even though I was fully forgiven, I still suffered the consequences from that, of being hungover, Right, of having a very distracted mind, 
of lower levels of endorphins, of dealing with habits that I had created within myself. Right? My parents and my wife really struggled to trust me, but I was fully forgiven. So why would God allow me to experience those things? And we can also give examples of small, everyday forms of foolishness. When you look through the ways that you daily break the instructions given in the Ten Commandments, like wanting what other people have, right? We covet all the time. Or not honoring your parents. Or talking smack about your neighbor. Or maybe even your spouse, right? Each of these bring negative consequences. If we've been completely atoned and therefore are never separated from God, why does he allow us to still suffer the consequences of our own stupidity and selfishness? Here's the answer I came up with. Put simply, because he wants us to grow. If nothing else, this is what I want you to hang on today. He allows us to experience hardship from our own choices because God wants us to grow. You know, he allows this to happen because he saved us not only for heaven. He also saved us so that way we can experience the best life now. In order to know how to do this, we must be given the opportunity to learn from our mistakes. Let me explain and show where I got this from. All right, so we've been walking through the story of the Exodus, the Israelites being led out of Egypt into the wilderness, right? They go through the Red Sea, stuff that we all know. Last week, we looked at how God had plans for the Israelites to enter the promised land, a place that was fully suitable to provide them with everything they needed, or as the spies described, a land flowing with milk and honey. The only problem was the people that were living there. According to the spies sent in, it was a land full of angry giants who had fortified cities and well-established armies. Because of this report, the people chose to trust fear instead of God. Instead of following his instructions to move into the land, they decided to hijack Moses' leadership position and head back into Egypt, a place that was familiar. Based on their disobedience, they should have received a quick and severe punishment, being fully cut off from their creator, their savior, and their sustainer. Let's look at the Bible. Numbers 14, 10 through 12. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Man, this is the exact same thing we saw back in Noah's day. The natural consequences for rejecting our creator is to be completely removed from his presence, which means being cut off from the source of life. Think about that. You unplug that lamp, what's going to happen to the light? It's gone. It cannot live, right? It cannot operate. They cannot live if they are not in the source of life. But just like Jesus, Moses steps in and acts as the people's representatives, So in the verses that follow, but Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it for in your might, you brought up this people from among them and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people for you, O Lord, are seen face to face and your cloud stands over them and you go in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people all at one time, then the nations who have heard about you will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land he swore to give them that he slaughtered them in the wilderness. 
And now, therefore, let the power of the Lord be great in the way that you promised when you spoke, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but by no means clearing the guilty and visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Forgive the iniquity of this people according to your greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have pardoned this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I do forgive them just as you have asked. Man, I have no time to fully elaborate on this passage. And this is one that I've been pondering day after day. How do I do this? One thing I can tell you is that Moses did not convince God that his plan was bad. For me, I see Moses praying in the way that most of us do, spending a majority of our time telling God why we think our ideas are a good idea. Think about that. How often do we just go on and on about how what we want to have happen is the best possible thing? Now, the reason why God forgave the Israelites for their rebellion is because he is the way that Moses described slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquities and transgressions. When Moses, as their representative, asked for forgiveness, God gave them what they both desired and needed, his mercy. Now, according to the rest of the Bible, that is all a person must do to be forgiven by the almighty maker of everything. Check out Romans 10. For everyone... Catch that. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is all a person must do. When they cry out to God for salvation from their own wickedness, then they are reunited with him. This is why God was able to remain in the midst of the Israelites, because they had been forgiven. Thinking logically then, God should have just escorted his people into the promised land. Let's see how it rolls out. Then the Lord said, I do forgive just as you have asked. Nevertheless, as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the people who have seen my glory and the signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have tested me these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their ancestors. None of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, when, because he has a different spirit and has followed me wholeheartedly, I will bring into the land which he went into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. All right, so now you're seeing where I'm getting this idea of discipline. Even though God had forgiven his people for rejecting his authority and choosing to do things the way that they saw best, he then disciplined him. Why would he still do this? And for those of us raised in a grace-based culture like Rimrock, this may be difficult to understand. Personally, I grew up, over, grew up being taught over and over that there is no way to sin your way out of God's love. That just like the prodigal son, no matter how terrible of choices we've made, all we need to do is turn back to God and then he will run to us, grab us in his arms, he will reinstate us in, as his children and then throw a party on our behalf. And this is true. Check out Luke 15. This is a son that set off, left his father, said, I do, not, I do not need you. So he set off and he went to his father, coming back to him. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. 
Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And this is incredible. This is true of how God sees each one of us. The moment we turn back to him, this is his reaction. So why would God, who is in complete control of everything, still allow his children to experience anything but the best that he can provide? Remember the answer? He wants us to grow. He saved us spiritually, not just for heaven, but he also saved us so that way we can experience a much better life now. In order for us to know how to do this, we must be given the opportunity to learn from our mistakes. Now, the idea of learning, of someone learning from their mistakes is parenting 101. Now, when a kid touches a hot stove, the chances of them doing it again are slim to none. Why? Because of the pain that they experienced. Now, if as parents we had the ability or the power to instantly remove that pain, the chances of them going back to that stove would be much greater, right? But because of the cause and effect that they experience in the future, they will approach potentially dangerous situations with much more caution and a healthier level of respect. This is the same reason why God disciplined the Israelites by sending them into the wilderness for 40 years. So that through the pain of the natural consequences, they could learn the importance of trusting God by doing what he says. And think about how hard those 40 years must have been. Having heard about the beauty of the land of Canaan and then spending the rest of your life living in tents, wandering around a barren land. And you wonder how often the children ask, why are we living this life when we have a God that keeps leading us in circles? Why doesn't he just take us where we are supposed to go? You know, this is the same reason why God allowed me, allows me to experience the pain of living too busy of a life. Even though it clearly states in the Ten Commandments that I should take one full day off every week, I struggle to take two or three hours off every week to not work. As a business owner and as a pastor, I have endless opportunities to stay busy, and in my mind, they are fully justifiable. If I don't, who will? Right? No one wants things to fall apart, so therefore I need to be the one holding them together. But by living this way, natural consequences come. Sometimes slowly they creep in. Other times they come in like a two-ton truck through the door. My mind begins to shut down and my emotions start firing on all cylinders. My most important relationships definitely take the full brunt of this. Right? My wife and my kids and God do not get my time. All of these consequences make my life miserable. Now, I know for a fact that I'm a redeemed son of God, so why would he allow these things to happen to me? Why does he allow me, you, and the Israelites to experience these things? Because he wants us to grow. Now, to fight against that thought that may be rolling through your mind, the one questioning God's goodness, check out these verses. Hebrews 12. My, chi my child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or lose heart when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. Endure trials for the sake of discipline. God is treating you as children. For what child is there whom a parent does not discipline? 
If you do not have the discipline in which all children share, then you are illegitimate and not his children. Moreover, we had human parents to discipline us and we respected them. Should we not even more willing, should we not be even more willing to be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good in order that we may share his holiness. Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Man, what deep and powerful verses. Hebrews 12, please read through this on your own. Now, according to these verses, what, God, what causes God to discipline us? What is his catalyst? His love. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he ex- accepts. It is not because he is angry or frustrated or drunk. It is out of his intense and perfect love that he allows his children to experience discipline. Now, why would his love cause him to do this? Because it is for our good in order that way we may share in his holiness. In the Greek, the word discipline is used, also used as to educate, to train, to teach. Interesting, huh? doesn't say punish. Just like a perfect parent, God wants what is best for us, so he must allow us to experience the pain that can come from our poor choices. Because out of it, he knows that the child will, that he loves will grow, that we will be able to live a better life. Now this idea of holiness... It is referring to something that is altogether different or set apart. The Ten Commandments are definitely different from what is normal in our culture. God desires us to live as if, desires us to live like him instead of living out of the brokenness of our world. This is a major reason why he disciplines us. So that way we can be changed from self-absorbed, prideful, and arrogant people into those who are selfless, humble, and full of love. In many ways, discipline is a fire that burns away the worthless. And we see this with the Israelites during their days of wandering. You know, we'll look at this a lot more next week, but in the land of Canaan, they were being put on center stage as a light to the rest of the world. In order for them to do this well, they needed to be fully dependent on God. By disciplining them in the wilderness, God was weeding out certain individuals that never really trusted him at all and teaching the next generation the importance of trusting him. And if you read through the years of wandering in the book of Numbers, you'll see various times when people from that older generation once again rebel against God and and his appointed leader, Moses. Many times they openly speak out against God and blame him for taking them into the wilderness instead of the promised land. They forget everything that they had just experienced. During this time of discipline, these individuals were removed in very dramatic and eye-catching ways. I believe that God did this not only to remove the toxic elements from the nation, but also to teach the rest of the individuals the importance of trusting in him. We can see this really as a metaphor for our own lives. As we go through the the process of being disciplined, God's intention is to remove our innate and inborn tendencies to worship ourselves and others. You know, for me, I usually crash once a year in about June or July. 
It's when our business is running full bore and I'm still trying to be a full-time pastor here with Rimrock. In the middle of this, God is stripping away my pride. He is allowing me to see that I am not nearly as capable as I think I am. He is showing me that to have an even better life, I must trust him enough to hire people, to give more of our money away, as well as build people up within this community so you guys can be a part of the leadership, not just me. He is allowing me to suffer so that my eyes are fixed upon the problem, me, and that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt the solution, the almighty maker of everything. Because he allows me to go through this year after year after year. Talk about stupid, right? I am beginning to slowly learn better ways to live. It's showing me the beauty of being disciplined by my creator. I love that verse 11 in Hebrews 12. Now discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time. But later, like I'm seeing, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, as we start to end this, got to think a little bit more practically. How do we best handle discipline? We get an idea in the verses that follow from the author of Hebrews. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now, the author, I believe, is implying that much of what comes out of discipline, either good or bad, is up to you. He calls you to strengthen your knees and for you to make straight paths for your feet. Because God honors your free will, he gives you the choice of how to handle this discipline. Two things to consider as I finish. First one, in order to handle it well, become more aware of what you are experiencing. Simply write down, become more aware. So often we run through life experiencing the highs and lows, but rarely do we stop to look at where the goods and bads are naturally coming from. Instead of being simply reactionary, what if you spent time every day or every few days, reflecting on your life, examining how you have been feeling, and then tracing those emotions back to their origin. And I'm learning that this can and should be applied to every emotion that we feel throughout the day. Let me give you two examples. That idea of me being burnt out. So the past few weeks, I've been once again feeling tired and emotionally strained getting brought to the end of myself. When I took time to recognize this and then notice that I've been re- running at a neck break pace, then I knew I needed to stop. Out of this understanding, I canceled a few things and I even pulled away for a night all by myself. Because of doing this, I am now feeling far more like I want to feel. Like I said, this should be applied to every emotion. So my wife and I were going for a nice walk yesterday on like a summer evening, and a block and a half into it, we ended up having a conversation which led into an argument, which led with us being like 15 feet apart from one another for the remaining three blocks home. I was like, what the heck is this all about? As I was laying in bed this morning, this thought that God had been giving me to give to you came to my mind. And so I started reflecting about the conversation. And God showed me that I reacted based on her statement, out of my own pride, my own arrogance, my own thought that I was right, and that's what caused everything to fall apart. 
We have the power to learn from our discipline, learn from the discipline that we are experiencing, but only when we take time to be aware of what we are experiencing. Second thing, last thing, never forget that God is in the midst of it with you. Right In the middle of whatever hardship you are experiencing, God has not left your side. Get this from Deuteronomy 8. This is right before they're about to enter the promised land. Moses is talking to him. Remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna. Right? That's like bread from heaven. It would just wake up and there'd be bread on the ground every morning with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Get this. The clothes on your back did not wear out and your feet did not swell these 40 years. Right? 40 years of being in the desert with that scorching sun and wind. Right? Think about the clothes that they made. Right? Not nearly the quality of what I'm wearing. And so for 40 years, they did not break down. They were also wearing sandals along that hard, hot ground. Imagine what that would do to your feet. But like Moses is telling them, look how God was with you in the midst of it all, giving you what you needed. And the exact same thing is true for us. When you are suffering the consequences of your own stupidity, never let yourself forget that God is right beside you. If you are his child, you will be forever. No amount of foolishness can change that. Because of your irrevocable position with your creator, he is there to comfort you and guide you so that way you can learn from your mistakes. You know, I believe this is why the author of Hebrews ends with something that is not within your control. This idea of being healed. Hebrews twelve thirteen. Don't have that one? So what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. You start walking in the way you can walk, so that way God can be the one to heal you. And this is what God is wanting to do for you. He wants to put your life back together even stronger than before. The more that you trust him, the more that he can do. Let's worship.